Hello, welcome. What? It's about the song. Oh, sorry. Hello, welcome back to the corner of the round table. Uh, I'm here with Minga. There's no Corbs today. He had to go to Mackay or Mackay uh, to visit some family. It's devastating, but we have Tishy as well. She just made it. She was asleep when I got home from work at four o'clock in the afternoon. Every door in the house was locked. I didn't have my car keys. I mean my house keys. I don't know where they are. I've been holding in a shit for about 40 minutes on the drive home from work. Nearly shit myself, but all good. Hey, Tish. Hello. You know, do you ever, when you're holding a shit in for that long, you know, like you can hold it in for that long, but when you get closer to oh, yeah. closer to the prize, <sighs> you see, it's like your body, your bowel knows that you're almost there and it, it starts getting, yeah, it starts getting ready to go. So if you get halted at the last hurdle. Oh, yeah, a delay close to the last hurdle is not ideal. <laughs> it's bad. Because your body has allowed for that exact amount of time. Yeah, it's it weird. It knows. Yeah, it's weird how that works. I actually shat myself on Friday. <laughs> um, what, did you? <laughs> yeah. What, what do you mean? So I was driving home and I got home and I parked and I, it, I didn't even follow through. It just, I just shat myself. Were you holding one in? I don't even remember needing to go that bad. You didn't fart. You just you just I, did a shit. I just did a little shit. <laughs> well, it just slid out. No, it didn't slide out. It was it was like, uh, it pierced through. Really? Yeah. It wasn't a. It wasn't solid. <laughs> it was just uh, it's just a little bit of pain. And then it just happened, and I thought, "Fuck!" It's a bit of bit of bit of molten lava. Yeah, and I went upstairs, announced that I had shat myself, mm. and then went and like had a gentleman. Sh- <laughs> went and had a shower. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't you shit yourself at work one time when we were working together? Oh, you do it. You do it often. <laughs> Have I told you that story, Mika? What? Well, yeah, the work I think one? I can't remember it. Well, do you want to hear it? Yeah. All right, so it's a bit of a story. Toad coat, I don't know if you want to block your ears for this one. It's okay, we've all been there. Okay, so I want to remember this. So I think we were in Nashua and we were doing an off-grid at a house in the bush and the house was probably 500 metres away from this shed thing that we were working on. And around the house, there was a property. So around the house were trees and forest and all that sort of stuff. And there was a hill. And I remember day one thinking, I think we might have been there for about three days. And I remember day one thinking... Oh, hang on. Is this the one that uh, they were like growing? It was going to be part of like a big growing tent? Yeah. Yeah, I remember it. Did you go there? I was there, but I don't know if... I think I was only there like later in the job when you were there. In that little control room thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I remember day one thinking, what's going to happen if I need a shit? Or, yeah, shit. It was a bi- It was a decent, it was like an, you needed like a four-wheel drive to drive down there. It was epic. <laughs> um, 
So I think it might have been day three rolls around and I needed to shit. And I think I was avoiding having coffees in the morning because I knew I've got, you know, the, the whole thing. <laughs> um, day three rolls around and I'm busting. And I was working with Jimmy and the Roach. And Jimmy had gone the day before in the bushes. He'd walked off into the trees or whatever and, and he did it and he was pretty happy with himself. Did he wipe with some leaves? I think we had toilet paper. I think I Yeah, yeah we did. We had I toilet paper. I remember this, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, I know I wasn't really keen on doing the bush shit. Anyway, there was this pile of trees or I don't know. It was, it was like a hill. And Jimmy was like, mate, just go over the other side of that hill thing. Because I didn't want them to see me. Go over the other side of that hill. There's trees and you're in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, oh, all right. So I went. I was dying. When I went over this hill thing, there's nothing around. I'm, I'm just worried about snakes. There's probably <laughs> – the hill was behind me. They were on the other side of the hill and I was facing these trees in the bush and it was probably – 10 metres between me and the trees and then it was full-on forest. Yeah. Anyway, I pull the pants down and I started. And as I'm starting the action, so I'm in the squatting position, shorts at the ankles, you know, like in the full squat position. It's very hard to hold that pose, you know. (laughs) And I hear like a car coming down. And, and the way we drove was nowhere near this hill. So I was thinking, oh, well, whatever. And the car's just getting closer. And I'm thinking, there's no way. The, there was nearly no room for a car to fit in the only gap they could have seen me. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm shitting. And I'm nowhere near finished. Like I'm, I'm fully shitting. And the was car... Was it too late to pull out, pull out? Yeah, it was too late, Minga. And I'm not joking. This car... I turned to my right and the car was in, in sight and it was heading my way in the one gap. And without any exaggeration, I reckon these guys were two metres away from me. The, there was a passenger and a driver. Mm. There was, there was sh- a shit hanging out of my ass. I couldn't move. <laughs> and they didn't see me until they were parallel with me. Was there any like foliage in the way, or was it just clear? It must have. There must have been. I must have been between a, you and their eyes. I must have been slightly surrounded, but there was nothing in front of me where they were. And were they getting like a side angle or a, or a behind angle? They got of of the shit coming out of your ass. So or? so they didn't say they didn't look at me for 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 a while till they were literally in line with me, and I thought there's no way I, I can't get away with this, can I? So it was like side on. And then they got to side on not too f- much further than this, and I'm not exaggerating, mm. when one of the guys looked at me and <laughs> oh, I was, it was hanging out and I, I didn't know what to do, so I sort of laughed. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the guys was like, oh, he's having a shit. <laughs> and I couldn't have been in a more vulnerable position because – I was actually shitting. It wasn't like I was finished. Mid-shit. Yeah, and and they, you can't do anything. Uh, you just got to finish the job. Yeah. So they they kept driving. They were laughing, and I'm literally shitting in this guy's backyard. Essentially, yeah, you know, I mean, you'd pretty call it pretty weird it's like a farm. So they drove off, and the worst part was they 
they were obviously out there to do work or something. They parked where I could still see them. Mm. They weren't that far away where they stopped. It was probably only 30 metres away. So I had to... Just out of range. They might have moved just out of range. Minga, they were in range because I had to wipe my ass. And I was so conscious about where they were. And I was... was, And and there was line of sight? There was a line of... Direct line of sight to them. Yeah. They weren't looking at me, but but I I could fully see them. Um, And then I looked up. I finished. I looked up and Jimmy and the Roach were on the shed roof. And they'd obviously seen the car and shit. (laughs) And they were pissing themselves laughing. I was distraught. Yeah, that was was my shit story (laughs) at Nashua. The roach, he would have been, he would have been loving that. <laughs> the roach is a nickname we gave this kid we used to work with. He's a good kid. He's a, he's got a he's got a good heart, but he had many of an issue. Anyway, we called we called him the roach because he just used to put himself through so much shit, and and we called him the roach because he's one of those guys that. Probably smoke ciggies his whole life, drink beers every night, do every drug under the sun, and probably still outlive most people. Oh. <laughs> but he was he, he was he was a good bloke, but um, holy hell! Can we talk about he was the story of the of the dog? Is the it, dog story is it inappropriate for this? Uh, nah, we could. No, nah, we. I think we. No, nah, yeah, we should. But <laughs> I'll tell you the first time I was because I was working with the Roach as an apprentice, and he. I'm sure he doesn't listen to this, because. <laughs> but not that I'd care anyway. He's he, a fucking legend. He'd probably love it. But the first time I realised the extent of his problems, <laughs> I knew he was a bit of a fuck up, but he came to work with me one day and it was me and him doing a solar install on this nice house. It was like a double story in Lennox Head. And he was a bit off in the morning. He was just kind of... He was in good spirits, but he was a bit slurry Remember the in wink? his words. Remember the wink he'd give you? If he winked at you in the morning, you knew he'd, he was fucked. And... He's <laughs> <laughs> on the air, dude, flabs. <laughs> and... Um, he used to just he used to do a lot of zannies and stuff like that, and um, yeah. And then he I was working with him and he was just fucking everything up, and I was getting super frustrated. And this was like a double story house, so you had this lower level where we were climbing up on one ladder. And it was like, a, and then we had the top level, and he just kind of disappeared towards the end of the day. And he was probably gone for like twenty minutes, and I was up on the roof working. I was like, where is this cunt? And then, and as the day went on, he was progressively getting like more and more retarded and slurring more. And I walked over to the side of the roof and looked down towards the ladder because I was going to just scan the yard and stuff for where he was. He's lying on the lower level of roof, (laughs) dead set, drool dripping out of his mouth onto the roof tiles. (laughs) <laughs> making was it, was weird dripping? noises hey was it actually dripping? there was drool running out of his mouth onto the tiles he was making weird noises and i looked down and i just went i was like what are you i was like what the fuck are you doing and he like kind of half woke up <laughs> even though his eyes are still open he like looks at me and he's like huh 
And I'm just like, oh my God, what is fucking going on here? And I, the client was home and I told him to go and sit in the car. I was like, just go sit in the car, man. I just couldn't let the client see him like this. So he must have just been, he must have just been pumping Zannies all day till he just turned himself into a vegetable, which ended up being quite a regular occurrence. But <laughs> I got him to go sit in the car and I called our boss and I was just like, what the fuck is going on? Shit. But I actually found out off, off the roach himself because he was quite apologetic uh, about the whole situation because he was, he's a, he was a good guy. But, um, he, he, he still is. I found out a couple of weeks later off him that he was actually on liquid morphine, which, which would make a lot more sense. Jesus. But yeah, it was, um, there was a lot of shit going on working with the Roach. Yeah, Dude, I'll say the dog story. It is funny. Can we say it? Yeah, I think so. I think you should tell it because you you. I think you've heard it more than more times than I have. Well, he only told us that one time because we were all in the car on the way to work somewhere, and uh, you're in the car, right? I don't think I was in the car, but I think I then asked him another time. And he retold it. Yeah, okay. I yeah. don't think I was actually yeah, at the no, original. You, yeah, that's right. You won't. Anyway, we were all just talking shit. Um, I think we were talking about our like first experiences with hallucinogenics. And then the roach chimes in last. Uh, <laughs> he anchors the, the conversation. And he had all these scars all over his body that I never asked him about. But they were pretty pretty gnarly. They kind of looked like... I kind of thought he might have um, fallen off a boat. Um and landed on the propeller when I first saw them. For some reason, they, they, were, just, they were epic. They were just they were just pretty gnarly. But turns out he he told us this story about the first time he did acid. He was fifteen, and some other bloke that was a bit older than him had a bunch of it, and he gave him a dosage that and told him he'd be fine. It turns out it was a suicide dosage for a fifteen-year-old. The roach slipped into some sort of psychosis and he was at home with his parents. And this is pretty heavy, but it is kind of funny. Oh, the, it's it, probably funny if you know the roach, but <laughs> it's heavy. And then he was, apparently he was so out of control, his parents had to lock him in the bedroom, in his bedroom. And when he was in the bedroom, like he can't remember a lot of this. This is like what he's been told. He actually got didn't he get the police report? And he was reading. Yeah, so he didn't. He like he really doesn't remember a, a lot of. He doesn't remember it. Definitely doesn't, wouldn't remember it clearly. But he got locked in his room because his parents were trying to work out what to do with him because I think he was just going completely nuts. And he's got naked, thrown himself through his glass window, which was a, it was a single story luckily thrown himself through the glass window cut himself to pieces that's what that's what his scars were from and while he was in the room going nuts his parents had called the police so it had like got to that point this is a 15 year old roach <sighs> called the police so as he makes his way outside the house completely cut to pieces covered in his own blood naked the police are all in his front yard 
and he stumbles out and he's being quite, I think he's being quite like violent <laughs> or aggressive or something because the police had a police dog there for some reason. I guess it was just in the, they were just in the area. I'm not sure why <laughs> they had the dog out, but the police dog is there like barking at him and he must have been doing something to threatening to them because he must have been running at them that he was like covered in blood or something. He must have, uh, I'm not exactly sure, but the dogs grabbed him on the arm and, and like latched onto his arm. And apparently the roach <laughs> fully naked, covered in his own blood, just starts biting the dog back <laughs> while it's on his arm. <laughs> and he said he didn't remember doing it. But when he, when he, uh, like when, when the dust all settled, like the next day or so, he read the police port report and that was in the police report. Yeah, stop biting my dog. <laughs> and the, the poli- one of the police had said, in, and it was in the report, stop biting the dog. <laughs> and he yelled back, tell him to stop biting me. <laughs> oh. Did he actually yell out, tell it to stop biting? This is what he said was in the police report. And and you know how sometimes you can tell if someone's talking shit? He wasn't, I'm, nah. I don't think he was talking nah. shit. He wasn't proud. No, he certainly wasn't proud about it. It's good on him to open up to us with that story. It's yeah. a fucking cracker. It's a, fuck, that's a good story. <laughs> but anyway, we love the Roach. Everybody love him. So, should we talk a bit about, should we... <laughs> Yeah, we won't we won't go any more into anything like that. Should we talk about the cricket World Cup? Um, yeah. So Australia haven't played a game yet. So this, so I watched. I got a bit of a I turned it on the other night, and I watched the Netherlands and the UAE. And the Netherlands were batting second. I actually didn't look at the score. I just watched it for about twenty minutes. Without taking note, I, I didn't even look at who batted first as what they were chasing or anything. And I sent out a few messages to a few people hoping they were watching. I, I messaged you, didn't I? Yeah, yeah. Um, you said you you said you'd, you you were better than the guys playing. Yeah, I said I I felt like I, I was better than some of them. I'm probably not, but the standard maybe. was maybe. But the standard was so poor, Minga, and. What was mind-blowing was the team batting the Netherlands actually chased down the score. of They actually won, and they were the team I was bagging. Um, I saw... But the it's, it was the UAE too. Yeah. And they're not any good either, right? Yeah, but they'd be... They were heavy favourites. They were meant to win. And then they're not any good, but they were meant to win. Yeah. Um, but I saw like this fielding, this drop catch that was just under 11s type cricket. The guy was sitting under a ball, got lost, dropped a, a lollipop. It can't be that bad though, right? <sighs> I don't know, Minga. I think they are. Um, what's with the what's with the the minows all <laughs> all playing at the moment? Because is there some sort of thing that's going on where the lower ranked teams have to play each other to get into the actual yeah, tournament? Yeah, I, th- I think there is, and I think that's why that's why it hasn't really kicked off with any of the big sides yet. Yeah. Um, 
But the West Indies and Sri Lanka are in the minows. Yeah. Sri Lanka cricket is struggling big time at the moment. Heaps of my mates, I've got a few Sri Lankan mates that I've played cricket with and apparently there's heaps of politics and, and a lot of the good players actually aren't even playing for Sri Lanka at the moment. So is it because there's a bit of political unrest in that country at the moment, is that affecting their cricket side? I think it must be. Wow. And I'm not sure in which way, but when I've spoken to my mates, they've said, you know, the team's full of the B grade players, they're not. Their guns aren't even playing. I don't know if they're boycotting. Maybe they're not getting paid. It could be about pay. I, I actually don't know. Um, but yeah, Sri, Sri Lanka have been historically pretty good. But um, yeah, they're struggling a lot at the moment. But yeah, this Netherlands game. Um, one one good thing to come out of it though was my new favourite player, Timmy Pringle. Yeah. Um, name he made 15 as well the chip the chip the chip made 15 chasing i think they chased about 112 so he contributed he made 15 the pringle did all right is it he's not the captain some aussie bloke's the captain isn't he of the netherlands i saw him talk after that game are any of them even dutch pringle's not dutch the chip's (laughs) not dutch I don't know, Minga, but the Chip's my new favourite player <laughs> and it's one of my favourite names. <laughs> but honestly, I was watching it thinking it was sort of the standard of maybe maybe like district cricket in Australia, which is, which is the best comp in, in, a, in a state. Maybe. Probably not, not even. I reckon the best players in district cricket well, they're obviously p- playing for their state and that every state in Australia would kill those countries individually. Yeah. Um, I honestly don't know what the standard was, but it was quite poor. Um, so the, the Australians that play in that side, I don't know where the chip's from. Are you sure there was an Aussie? Yeah, the captain. Can we? I forget Co- his name, but the, but the chip, he... He, he's potentially Australian, but they must have to have a Dutch uh, citizenship or, you know... Well, might be a bit of... To be able to play um, for them. Otherwise, I feel like those countries, wouldn't they just grab... If you didn't have a citizenship for that country, wouldn't you just grab these other players that aren't playing for the good countries? Same with, like, UAE. It's probably, the, it's probably like a bit countries. like the rugby. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. What happened with the... Maybe I could play for the UAE. You'd be close. <laughs> what do you got for us, Toadcoat? Um, Sri Lanka's having an econ- economic crisis. Is that what you were asking? Uh, is it affecting... Is that affecting the, the, the cricket <laughs> side? Well, it says that they... Hang on. It says that they don't have... Um, they have shortages of food, fuel, medicines, lengthy power blackouts. I don't know. I'm sure that would affect everyone. So, yeah, we'll say yes. It is. I just found, worked out that Tim Pringle is apparently Dutch. Yeah, I'm looking up him up right there. now. So, he's played four one-day internationals. Now, oh, his top score is 15. That was it on that was the it. other day. Yeah. <laughs> Does he bowl the Pringle? I have to be chipping. Oh, he doesn't really bowl. Shit. 
<laughs> hey, why did West Indies lose to Scotland? That's a good question, Minga. I actually thought the West Indies wouldn't be too bad. They usually play really well in this cricket, in a short-form cricket, and Australia often get West Indies players coming and playing the big bash over here. So you'd sort of expect them to be strong because when they're playing the big bash, they're often marquee players. Is there any political unrest in um, the West Indies at the moment? Um, have we confirmed that with the toad? Yeah, there's. I, I'm almost. I'm almost certain that the Caribbean's fine. Yeah, but they might come good. They might have just had a shit one. That's the other thing with the T20 cricket. It's quite. Um, what's the word? Like things, different things can happen. P- players can have a day out and kill it when they're out of form. It's sort of that kind of thing does happen in these short forms of cricket. It's a little bit more hit and miss. So a team can have a shit night and lose. So that's why form obviously matters, but it probably matters the least in this form of cricket, I'd say. I reckon any team can make a, a final and have won every game and then no certainty to win a final. Because um, like a big innings by one batsman can kind of win a game. Yeah, you could just have someone with a, with a really good cameo just go crazy and make heaps of runs. Um, generally in big games of cricket, it's dominated by bowling in sort of in general. Um, I think, it, I don't know, that's probably to do with pressure. But yeah, if, if one player just has a day out out of, out of the eleven. You know, it can it can turn a whole game, and in these games, 180 runs is probably enough. Yeah. So one one batter batting for 15 overs, doing well, could get the job done. So upsets are probably more common in this form. But mostly in this stage, you're like you're not going to get those upsets when you get into when all these minows get into the. Not the, with the pools with all the bigger countries. Though, yeah, surely. not not like that. But with the minnow versus a minnow, or a, or a good country versus a good country. Yeah. Minnow, minnow on minnow <laughs> is upset city. Oh yeah, you throw a bit of political unrest into the mix. You've got it's a bloody. Oh yeah, it's upset city, Mingo. It's a bookie's dream. It is. Yeah. No one knows what's going to happen. Um, what's it go with the World Cup of the uh, the league? Well, it started. There's been a couple of things interesting. Did you watch any of the games? I've seen a few highlights. I think I watched... I watched a shit one. I think I watched someone win by heaps, like 50 or 60. Was it England-Samoa? Nah. England won by 60... What, against Samoa? Yeah. It was pretty crazy. England just looked like a well-oiled machine and Samoa just looked lost. And then they gave up. They they gave up at the end, Samoa. That's when I think England scored like 24 points in the last 10 minutes or something. I think, it, I think Corbs got me onto Samoa. Corbs was tipping Samoa. Hmm. Um, it was they – they got a lot of – I mean, they got a team – almost full of superstars, they should have won that game. But, you know, it was probably meant to be the one of the closest, better matches of the round. It's pretty crazy, pretty impressive by England. 
like I said last week, I didn't really want to touch anything involving England because I just didn't know much about them or what they were going to be like because they have the potential to be good. It sucks if they're good. They're not good enough, though. Like, they're not going to beat Australia. Australia is stacked. Australia looked like they hadn't gelled yet, but they still looked amazing. It was just great to see. You get to see these players that play each other in origin, and you get to see them playing alongside each other. Yeah. And it's just, I think when they click towards the end of this World Cup, it's just going to be, like, some of the highest, you know level of footy some of the most exciting footy you can watch because you get to see that you get like Latrell Mitchell playing next to Josh Adokar which is just their best mates it's just so good to see you don't get to see that in club yeah that is exciting and Harry Grant from Australia probably he's developed this kicking game that I think is just taking his game to the next level and if he is going to play like he's played the last few games he's had, he's going to be the best number nine to ever play, I reckon. He's he's just getting better and better. It's crazy. And New Zealand looked good. Uh, Lebanon looked good. I was hoping you were going to watch that one. They pushed New Zealand pretty far until um, Adam Dewey got sent off for dissent, which is saying something to the ref. Yeah. Something foul. Some foul language, I imagine. Oh, foul language. Uh, They haven't brought out what he said yet, which is a shame. But, uh, yeah, he got sent off for dissent, which is just an automatic send-off for the rest of the game, pretty much. Does it leave leave the team one down? Yeah. So that stuffed them a bit because they were hanging in there and they they looked really good. But then New Zealand just sort of ran away with it after that. Apparently he said, give us some fucking calls. That's not even that bad. Yeah. <laughs> Mingo, what's your thoughts on umpires, players arguing with umpires? Uh, I think it's, I think it's, uh, well, I don't mind it, but I think it's, if you, if you allow it, I mean, if you don't treat it like they treat it, it's a recipe for disaster. Don't you just think it's the most unforgivable thing f- for your teammate or a player from your club to argue with an umpire and actually get get punished for it? Like, don't you think it's the most unforgivable thing for a player to do? But I don't know. I think I feel like if you're that if the call the refereeing is actually going against you that much, you're all probably that frustrated. It's just a bit a passion. I mean, it lacks discipline, but there's a lot of passion in it. You know to just lash out at the referee like that. You're probably feeling the game slip away from you. You're trying your ass off and you feel like you can't, everything you do is not enough because there's this bloke out there just making all the wrong calls. I, believe, I, I agree that an umpire has so much say in it, but I think, I think arguing with him is so unforgivable in all sports. I just don't understand it because... Literally no positive outcome can come out of arguing with an umpire and you should know that from when you're a kid and we're taught that and everyone knows that the umpire doesn't change their mind and in a big game like that where a player's literally cost his team the game because he couldn't control himself, I just reckon it's it's an unforgivable thing to do. I hate it. And when I played footy 
footy, it's different to cricket. Cricket, you can probably argue and nothing really happens. But football, you get punished, you know, 50-metre penalty, whatever. Then there's other other codes where you actually get sent off. It's just crazy that, that people still do that and adults do that. I just think it's the most undisciplined. I, I hate it. Yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's probably... It's a, it's a controllable, yeah, you know? Yeah, and it's usually the guys that are like the leaders of the team that do it. But good leaders don't do it. Yeah, yeah, the the squeaky, the squeaky clean ones. The squeakers. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it must be frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, I. C- yeah. Sorry, Ming, that's got me right up, and I'm, I'm no, almost no, sweating a little bit. <laughs> that's fine. That's almost. Fine. It's what's triggered me. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, that's triggered me. Yeah, I look. I I I don't feel anywhere near as strongly about it as you do. I think if you're a supporter and you're watching your team, you can abuse the umpire. No dramas because there's no consequence. But yeah, it'd be disappoint. It'd be real disappointing if you if you were the supporter and that happened. I can't think it's. I don't think it's ever happened to me with the team that I've really got that I really get around. What do you mean? That I've been watching it and a player's abused the ref and got sent off for the game. Yeah, what's well, happened in. Like AFL, they give away a fifty for anything these days. They've they've tightened up that rule this year. Yeah, and even they got a bit carried away with it. Like an arm gesture was considered dissent, and they were paying fifty meter penalties against someone put waving their arms. What like throwing up the forks or something? <laughs> Not even the forks. Me doing that thing that the Italians do, flicking under the chin. Flick under the chin. Mm. Arms out. You know, oh, just, just arms the, out. The typical old, you got to be kidding me type thing. Um, they were paying 50s against that, which was, I don't know, that's probably getting a little bit carried away. But but does any, so in AFL though, does anyone ever get sent off for anything? Like what have you got to do to get sent off the field? It's one of the weirdest things about AFL. There is no send off rule. You can literally go out there in a big, like say in the grand final, there's one player on the team. Someone could go up to that player, king hit him, knock him out. Yeah. That player can't come back on the ground and the player that knocked the guy out can stay on the ground. No way. Yes. And it's crazy. And it's crazy that that doesn't get exploited. Yeah, what the fuck? There is no send-off rule, Minga. So no one's ever been sent off for doing anything like that? It's it's weird because it happens in local footy. There's send-off rules, there's cards, there's all that sort of stuff. But at AFL, you can literally get away with... Like, if you get reported and you get suspended for six weeks, you can still play that game out. Is it just because the fines and the suspensions are just way too extreme for them to even bother with it? I've Because I find it hard to believe no one's ever been so pissed off in an AFL game that they've just belted someone, like clocked someone. There's been clocking. King hit someone. There's been clockings. And they just stayed on, the other bloke had to leave. There's a real famous one, like in the 1989 grand final, someone came off at the first bounce, cleaned up Hawthorne's centre-half forward, Dermot Brereton, broke his ribs and everything. Like a dirty play. Dermot Brereton, fair oh, Dermot, enough. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but Dermot ended up coming back on with all these broken ribs, kicked a few, it was like this heroic thing. But the Yates, the guy who got him, he just continues and plays. So they just sacrifice one guy and they go, mate, go clean this guy up. 
Fuck. And I kind of think, why wouldn't you? Yeah. It's like imagine if that. Imagine if they they started doing that. Well, I guess you can't. Then hey, another thing I wanted to ask you about AFL is because I've been following it much the last few years, but in the NRL, the HIA, the head injury assessment, it's uh, pretty prevalent. So and sometimes when people just don't even need to get a HIA, they're sending them off for HIAs. Uh, I think it's 15 minutes on the sideline they've got to spend and they've got to pass the, the protocols and uh, then they can go back on. Do Are they doing anything like that in AFL? They like are. What happens if you get it? Is it a similar thing? It could even be the exact same thing, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, they definitely have to do a concussion test. And I think if you get ruled out due to concussion during a game, you automatically don't play the next week. Yeah. Um, which is good. I think a lot of players are coming out and it's probably the same in the NR. It's all sports. You know, there's all these, all these, in, not injuries, but long-term effects of these head knocks. Mm. Um. And I think it's good that that our codes are taking it seriously because it's pretty fucked. All these people that are coming out with all these all these issues that they've had their whole lives post career. It is, but can I say something that I've been thinking about recently on that? Because there's a NRL player named James Graham that's recently had head these head scans and he's in the media and stuff. He's pretty switched on. He speaks well. He's commentates and does all that sort of thing he's an english bloke um he came over here and played nrl and he did pretty well um and he, now he stayed here and he's in the media but he had these head scans and it came up with i'm not exactly sure what but con- concerning things from the concussions he's had and then he started talking about how you know, they've got to do more and blah, blah, blah. And it's a conversation that's been going on to look after the players and all this sort of thing. And that's why we're doing these HIAs. And I know it's important to look after them and stuff like that. But I was thinking to myself when I heard it, I think it was last week or something. And I just think, like, when does it get to a point where you realise that this is part of the game and this is a risk you take if you if you want to play that game? You probably play the game because you love the game. And I can't help but think about things like, I don't know. So, for instance, um, the probably the best example I can give is is surfing. Like, you don't have to be, have to be a professional to surf or love surfing. You don't Just like you don't have to be a professional to play football. But every day when you go for a surf there's a chance that you'll get eaten alive by a shark. But does that stop anyone who loves it? No. Like, is that potentially a fate worse than CTE? Well, that's debatable, I guess. But what are you you saying? I'm saying if you love something and you want to do it, especially if you want to get paid to do it, there's a lot of the time, like, risks involved and... You have to be willing to take those risks. If you don't want to take those risks, don't do it. Like it's is anyone that. saying that? No one's saying. We're saying protect the head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, what I'm saying is, at what point does does, does it stop? Like, when, how much further can you go with it? Well, they're they're being 
cautious when people get hit in their head now. Yeah, I know, but does it is it is it gonna go further than this? That's what I'm saying. Like, when does it stop? Is what I'm asking. And when does it become like, yeah, this is a part of being a professional football player and getting paid to do this for a living, having one of the greatest jobs in the world and doing it because you love it. Like, there is this risk. Like, we'll do what we can. To so stop who's you who's denying that. the risk? No one's denying the risk, but I just think that for there to be like the, I just feel like we're at a point where it's like is the is the head injury assessment and everything and resting players when these things happen is that as far as they go with it or do they keep and you know are you saying that you don't think a player should have to take the next week off is that what you mean no I'm all for that I'm just thinking what are you not for the discussion ongoing. You're sick of hearing about it. I think you 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 put these things in place, right? Like they have. Yep. And then you accept that it's part of what you do. And look at MMA fighters, boxers, all of that. Are they? I wouldn't even know if they're more susceptible to that sort of thing because they're probably they're not fighting every week like a lot of the footy players are playing every week. And I don't know some of the contact in football when it's people running at each other full speed and hitting each other with different parts of the body and stuff, it could even be more vicious than, than taking a punch off someone. But, I mean, these, this, is, this is just like it's, – it's kind of part of the game. And I think the more you, you know, like make moves on it, the more you take away from like what that game is or what it was. Yeah, so no one's denying that there's risk involved in these sports. But I think they're just taking – measures to prevent people one people that are getting knocked being fucked down the track and two preventing those knocks with rules in in afl you can't hit you can't touch anyone above the shoulders anyway in in any way the only way you're going to get hit in the head is if you fall or if or an accidental collision but any action that's like a, a hand over the shoulder or something that's an illegal play and all they're doing is maybe making those things a little bit stricter and then when people are getting hit in the head, they're taking more precaution. Back in the day, blokes would get knocked out, proper knocked out, like yeah. stiff. You'd see them, I mean, you know, the full fingers and everything. They'd go <laughs> they'd go stiff, Minga. Yeah. They'd get carried off and these guys would come back on the yeah, ground. Yeah, I know, I know. They don't, like, think of uh, – that'd be like someone in the UFC getting knocked out and then having <laughs> another fight. No, I, get, I get that that's wrong, obviously – I know that you've got to stop doing that, and they are doing that. I'm just saying, like, at some You're point... you sick of the talk. At, at some point, it's got to stop, like, and you just got to get on with it. It's like, you know, just look at this. It's not, I don't know, there's so many other sports and just people that don't even do, you know, the sports for a living, like guys riding fucking motocross bikes. Just there's so much danger in that, and people just do it because they love it on the weekend. Yeah. They're not getting paid to do it, like... Yeah. Uh, do you know what I, is you know what I mean? Am I am I being a dick or does is it? I'm not being like, a dick. I just don't really understand what you're telling me. I don't know what you're off. <laughs> I don't know what you're disagreeing disagree, with. I don't know. I think the game's you just, just going to get. Hearing about I just it. think the game's going to get softer and softer because they keep talking about all this head injury thing. But I think it. Sh- I just kind of think it should be, and it's easy for me to say because I'm not a fucking professional athlete and a sports player. Uh, but I just think at some point, like, you get on with it because that's what it is. 
So you don't want the game to change too much and get softer. I don't want it to change any more than it already has. Yeah. I'd rather they all just get dementia when they're old. <laughs> oh, don't go. <laughs> well, I dare say I'll be right there with them. What I will say, Minga, <laughs> is I haven't heard too many well-spoken old boxers. Yeah. Have you? Not really. No. Nah. They're probably the ones that, yeah, They're well, probably like the stereotypical head knock kind of guys. But that's it's probably the worst one for it. Yeah, it probably is. For sure. With how much they spar and stuff like that, with the headgear and all that sort of thing. Yeah, I think protect the head, but obviously we've got to be reasonable. We can't be punishing someone for an accidental head knock where the, the person that's knocked the person in the head, if it's accidental, you know, we've got to be realistic about those things. But I think the precautions when people get hit in the head are good. That's my opinion. You yeah, think they're soft. Fair enough, they are. Get no, on. With it. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like, just and you know, get to hurry up, get it to the point where you're happy with it, and fucking move on. And it might also be one of those things, Minga, where there's a bit, maybe an over, not an overreaction, but one thing that it's been ignored for so long, and no one's cared about it, and it's and it's maybe the flavor of the month a little bit at the moment, and they're going to the extreme to protect those things. Maybe that's what you're saying. There's a lot of a lot of noise about it and that probably will die down and there'll probably be a time where a head knock is just your mandatory 15 off test. They don't even talk about it, whatever, but it's probably a bit of a hot topic at the moment, I guess. Maybe it's been a hot topic for a few years. Maybe that's what you see of. Mm, I am over it. How did that even start, that conversation, Minga? But uh, that's Rugby League World Cup. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> My head hurts after all that chat. Mm, well, <laughs> well, we're on. I might have to take a week off the potty. While we're on head injuries, the UFC this weekend, UFC 280. Oh my god, we've been waiting for this. Well, what have we got? Where do we start? Actually, start at the start at the bottom. And in my opinion, Minga, this isn't the bottom, but. It's a prelim, so it probably is the bottom. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, wait. So one thing I wanted to just touch on first before we get into the fights, it's in Abu Dhabi, yeah? Now, I know that is somewhere in bloody, or, or around bloody, where is it? UAE, Qatar, I just my I'm geographically not that good when it comes to these cities like Dubai like where exactly is Abu Dhabi compared to Dubai? It's like on the same coastline in in United em, Arab Emirates. So it's they're both in the UAE. Yeah. So it's a city like Dubai. Yeah. And Tish, what's their national dish there? Oh, don't. Yeah, what's the national dish? National. Their national tish. Specifically Abu Dhabi. Um, it's called Kuzi. Kuzi. Yep. Um, and it is looks like a bit of rice. <laughs> it doesn't actually nice. tell you what's in it. 
What's it look like? Uh, like this. Oh. <laughs> it's a, wait, hang on. It's We'd a, like our listeners to uh, <laughs> look through the speaker. We're looking for uh, <laughs> at someone who can use Google. Uh, if there's anyone out there that's free on Wednesday afternoons. <laughs> It's Cheap a, as okay. creepers, toad coat. It's, it's roasted <laughs> lamb or mutton, mutton, served on the top of a bed of rice, topped with vegetables and nuts. What kind of sauce? Oh, don't ask me that. <laughs> okay, yeah. Anyway, so it's similar to Dubai because they've they held these they've held these fights there before. Um, I think it's the main place they go actually when they do the fights over there. Obviously, because it's like a Muslim Mecca, and then they have all their Muslim fighters uh, on there. It's usually tons of the kind of like Russian, Eastern European Muslim crew on there. Um, they usually win, <laughs> pretty much all of them. We've got a few on on this one. Islam Makachev being the main one. Um, no, Islam, in my opinion, he's not. You don't think he's the main fight? I think. I think Bilal is. <laughs> you think he's the draw card? I do think he's the draw card, Mingo. I think he's going to smother. Well, he just smothers whoever he fights. And he's, his traje- trajectory is to the top. And I'm going to ride this, this Bilal train till it stops. So did you see the fight where he fought, if you, Leon Edwards, who is the top, Bilal was a... Uh, what did he call? He was a he was a late call up because someone Leon Edwards' an initial opponent pulled out. Did you see what Leon Edwards was doing to him before that? The worst eye poke of all time happened to Bilal, causing the end of the fight. <laughs> and Bilal cried. Jeez, he cried. <laughs> Which is fine. Looked painful, but um, he was getting completely beast up. It was not even a competition. Because that's the difference between him and the top of that division. Yeah, but if you think about it, you know, Bilal was poked. Anything could have happened if he didn't, didn't get poked. Nothing was happening, man. <laughs> you might have said that when Usman <laughs> fought Leon Edwards. Nah, I would have said Leon Edwards had a chance. You just never know with Bilal. No, I think you do. He didn't get a loss for that. No, that's right. And he was call- the thing that annoyed me the most about it is he was calling so hard for the rematch. But the reality of it was like... You were not even in the fight. You were that out, that outclassed. So to see how him stand there and call endlessly for that rematch after being kind of lucky it was ended because he was going to cop so much more damage in the last couple of rounds. It, I just can't. It's hard, to, it's hard to say. Is there a funnier picture in MMA than Bilal's cooked eye? Yeah. Oh, geez, it's Wait, you mean that the one because he's cockeyed as it is? That's why is he, he always is he wears. Cock-eyed? Well, yeah, that's why he always wears sunny. Haven't you seen him? He's got one. Like, yeah, I know cock-eyed. he's cockeyed, but is that is the cockeyed? It's 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 half cocked. It's oh, not geez, full cocked. So cocked. Yeah, it's a half cock. It, that's why he always has his sunnies on because he's got. I, I think he might have two cock eyes after <laughs> that eye poke. To be honest, Jesus, it was the worst eye poke I've ever seen. Yeah, he's... Um, look it up if you haven't seen it. I mean, when we look at his record, right? He's fighting Sean Brady, a guy from Philadelphia. Similar similar style. Um, just like a smothering sort of grappling style. Sean Brady can strike a little bit. Probably, probably 
a little bit more power than Bilal. But um, I don't know. I, I see it definitely going the distance. I don't see either of them finishing each other. Well, so his record, right? He's, of his last eight fights, he's got seven wins in the eye poke. Yeah, he's been winning and he's beaten some good guys, but he just does it in the most unentertaining fashion. It's so hard to watch. Smothered Wonderboy. Smothered that was him. a shocker, wasn't it? The thing is, that that style, his style's different. It's like a points fighting style. Like he 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 wrestles to try and win on points, and he strikes to try to try and win on points. It's. It's just boring. Like you, the the guys that I respect the most are the guys that go in there and try and finish. Like if you look at the Islams and the Khabibs, like they they have that you know dominant wrestling style, that smothering style, but they're trying to take the guys out. Like their ground and pound is vicious. There's like bad intent behind every shot they throw when they when they're ground and pounding, and then they they're looking for submissions constantly. They're trying to finish the fight. Like Bilal doesn't have that, and when those sort of fighters, I just can't. I just can't get around. It's just, I just find it so entertaining. Yeah, look, I'm getting around him because I feel like no one else does, and he needs someone. I think he's got a bit of a following. Do you reckon? Yeah, <sighs> I've heard a good. I heard or read a good oh, thing yeah. about him. No, nah, maybe not. Maybe but not. I want to be on him, Minga, because I just feel like I should be. He's the underdog in this. I actually don't know if he should be the underdog in this. I'd probably, I'd, I think he's paying two dollars fifteen. I'd probably take that to be honest, on or him on points if that was going to be paying any more because there is no way he's finishing Sean Brady. He probably outpoints him though. It could be, it could be a good fight. I think it's either going to be. Well, actually, I think they'll kind of grapple each other to be honest. Yeah, well, I'm surprised he's the underdog in any fight, to be honest, Minga. Um, I'm checking it right now. One thing I did he's hear... He's paying two fifteen, Minga. One thing I did hear is that Bilal beat a guy called Craig Jones, who is an Australian jiu-jitsu uh, legend, really famous for his leg locks, really effective leg locks. Um, and I heard Bilal beat him in a jiu-jitsu fight, but I imagine he would have beat him by points. I don't think he would have submitted him because they do do a point system in jiu-jitsu. Uh, and I imagine it would have been very, very boring. Very boring. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. that does say a bit about his grappling. Like, he's got a bit about him. He just doesn't implement his stuff in a way that is exciting. He's paying Bilal's paying $26 to submit. To win via submission. That's because Sean Brady's a really good grappler He's as well. He's paying $9 for KO. That's should be paying $900. He's paying $275 for the, uh, for the points. $275. That's probably the bet, to be honest. Below by points, $275. Mm. I mean, I'd probably, I'm probably not going to touch that in my multi because it could go either way. But, I mean, 275 for him by points would be my play for sure. Interesting, Minga. So we're going to go jump into another good one, which is Yarn versus O'Malley. Now... This has sparked some great debate, Minga. Yeah, so <laughs> what do you think is going to happen? 
I think Sugar Sean is going to be too long and I think he's going to tag down and I think the fight being three rounds suits Sean O'Malley and I think he'll win on points. And I don't, I don't reckon he'll, I don't reckon he'll put him stiff. I reckon there's no chance he puts Petty on stiff. I reckon there's a little chance. The little Russian Terminator. No. All right. Well, what do you think is going to happen? Um, I think Yarn's going to break him. I think the three. You're right about the three rounds thing. I think it's probably the only thing in O'Malley's favour that the fight's for three rounds because Yarn can slow start. But he starts slow in five-round fights because he's got five rounds to fight. He took out Jose Aldo in three rounds. Took out Uriah Faber in three rounds. He's taken out a bunch of people in three rounds. I respect O'Malley stepping up <laughs> to fight Yarn because Yarn is the best guy in this division. And it's a huge step up in competition for him. And we've been watching him fight, you know, lower level guys for the last four years waiting for him to finally step up uh i don't know man like when he fought cheeto like i had a feeling that fight was going to go the way it goes because cheeto is fucking hard as shit and o'malley just sort of broke it was like and i kind of see this fight going the same way it's it's a massive step on competition and respect for him for taking it but Peter Yarn is way too good, man. He's way too tough. He's just built differently. It's um, I think you're gonna kind of see the difference in levels in this fight. Here's a nugget, and I probably am on the Sugar Sean train because I do like these kind of guys, and I like what they offer. I have easy package, and I probably do get sucked into the those sort of people, but. I reckon he's skillful, and I reckon he's look just looks so much bigger than the other bantamweights. Like he's just—you're a sucker for the narrative. I am a bigger. real sucker for it. I am a sucker for the narrative. Did you see? Did you watch Yarn versus Sandhagen? The long, the long opponent. Yeah, so similar. I'd say, in my opinion, Sandhagen's a better fighter than O'Malley. But like similar build, similar you know, kind of style where he's really good at distance, you know, controls the range really well and didn't really trouble Peter Yarn a little bit in the first round, but Yarn kind of cleaned him up in the last two. Because as good as those guys are at controlling that range and, you know, using their range, Yarn is better at getting inside it. I guarantee you. Like... It's this this guy is on another level to O'Malley, man. So Sandhagen's the exact same height. Yeah. I rest your case. <laughs> <laughs> that, look, he's I think O'Malley's good. I just don't think he's he's this good. And he's probably still got a lot of improving to do. I mean, but this is yeah. This It'll be interesting either way, isn't it, Minga? It is a, it's it's probably like it's, it's pretty fucking cool if Yarn comes out and smokes him. And it's also cool the other way around. It's my second favourite fight on this card for sure. Yeah. It's going to be good. Yeah, me too. Well, Bilal. Bilal's obviously my f- most favourite, most exciting fight. Yeah. And then it's probably either the, the Sugar Sean Yarn or the Oliveri Islam fight, number <laughs> two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, but there's another there's another good one on here. Uh, Sterling versus Dillashaw. Now this is drug cheat versus the first man to ever win a title by taking a dive. Uh, Not much. Two pretty unlikable yeah, characters. No one likes either of them. No, no, I don't think they should. And are we barracking? Well, we're not. Ba- we just hope they both lose. Yeah, I wouldn't mind them both losing hmm. if that was an option. No, I, I don't know. After what seeing what uh, Aljo did in that first yarn fight when he stayed down after that illegal knee that hit him in the forehead, that was the worst thing I've seen in MMA. I think I remember and. What is it? Uh, Anthony Smith, when he was fighting John Jones, he copped a worse one, like actually caught him on the chin, an illegal knee from John Jones, and he was rocked. And he took his time. He had the option, because that was a title fight too, he had the option to stay down and take that, and nobody would have cared as much because it was legitimately like a shot, that an illegal shot that caught him and like, you know, almost put his lights out. But he didn't because it's not it's not what happens in MMA. Like, it's never been the way. And Aljo changed that. That The moment he stayed down after that illegal knee to take a, to, to take a belt off someone, that was the changing of that. And, it's, and, I, and it was, yeah, I hated to see it because it kind of opened up the door for other people to do that. And it wasn't, you know. Do you think it's opened the door? Or do you think people have seen the backlash that he copped? And but it's, it's kind of nothing anymore because now he's – Still got the belt. He lost that second fight to Peter Yarn. The judges just didn't just didn't call it that way because they fuck it up all the time and they're useless. Because they use like athletic commission judges that are boxing judges and stuff like that. They don't have like MMA old MMA fighters or anything like that doing the judging like they should. I don't want to get off topic, Minga, but it's on topic. But how bizarre is it that there's the judges? hold so much power in these fights that mean so much and and they they do constantly get it wrong it's i just find it baffling that they haven't nailed that system of scoring in in this sport it's beyond crazy now it's because it's still it's still happening but it's been happening for so long but i think how it works over there is they have these athletic commissions in the states where they hold these fights and those commissions have their judges for these sort of combat sports and they're all like old boxing judges and stuff like that so i think a lot of them i mean i'm sure there's some of them that do understand the sport but i think a lot of them don't and you just end up with these crazy decisions that are just just not what you've seen happen in front of your eyes and there's nothing that they can do about it once it happens it happens all the time it happens way too much it's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know when that or what it's going to take for them to stop it. America has all those crazy laws, state to state. It's probably it's just a shit fight over and, there. And if you think about how much is at stake for these people and their teams and their jobs and their careers and everything, it's just so much at stake, and it's something that's probably fixable that yeah. they just haven't fixed. You know, it's it's baffling. I know. All, all I can say is, that's America, man. Just so much shit goes on there that it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, moving on from this, with this TJ and Aljo fight, I think it's going to be a good fight. Now, I 
had concerns about TJ. I still do. Because the thing with drug cheats, when they come back from being off the gear, they're half the man they were before it while they were on it. Like, it's just the way it works. They come back, they usually don't look as lean and as ripped as they were. They probably even, I don't know, but it's probably harder for them to cut weight if they're not on the gear. But they always come back a bit slower and just not looking the same, which is understandable. But he looked a bit like that when he came back and fought Corey Santagin. He didn't look as lean. He wasn't as quick. But one thing i got to say about him is he blew his knee out in the first round of that Santagin fight, which which was a great fight. Corey Santagin is is one of the best. He's amazing to watch. He blew his TJ blew his knee out in the in, in the first round. Came out, fought on pretty much one leg for the rest of the fight. Corey caught him with a, I think it might have been a knee or something, and split his right eyelid open in the second round, and it was bad. It was a really bad cut, right about like blood. He was pretty much on one leg and one eye, TJ. And he grinded out the rest of the fight. Like, again, bad judging call. Corey Sandhagen had no marks on him at all. He TJ looked like he just fucking, yeah, fucking fell into a boat propeller. And they still gave the fight to TJ. He, But to his credit... Split he, decision. Yeah, but he really... He really fucking was coming on in the last two rounds too. He was just he was he was kind of surviving, but he still had energy, and I was surprised by it because I didn't think he'd have that much fight still in him coming back from that big suspension, yeah, getting those injuries in that fight, and then you know fighting all the way through. So even though I don't think he won, I wasn't that upset with him getting it just because it was a hell of a performance, and I just don't know if Aljo has that same sort of fight in him that yeah. TJ does. And while I don't think TJ is ever going to be as good as he was before when he was on the drugs, it's I think he's just too much of a fucking dog to lose to Aljo. Good point, Nigga. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know what the odds are on that one. <laughs> but that's another one I probably wouldn't want to have a crack at either because, I mean, it's just too too close of a fight. You know, yeah. So the odds are Sterling's paying a dollar fifty-five and TJ's paying two dollars forty-six. So off your assessment, Minga, it is pretty juicy for TJ, isn't it? Yeah, that's another one where I don't think that's quite right. I mean, I think I think he should. Yeah, I mean, he's worth taking at that at that price, just like Bilal. The the only issue with it is is that he's. I mean, he injured himself in that last fight against Sandhagen. And he's so, you know, he's come back not as good as he was. He's still tough as shit. But he's, I don't know, he's getting injured a lot. So that, that second Cody fight was August 2018. Yeah, it was ages ago. So since then he's had two fights. He's had two years off with suspension. Yeah, but I mean, he's just been out of the ring. The octagon, yeah. so, for a long time. Yeah, but you couldn't. I mean, he looked a, a bit rusty, but he just didn't look the same, which is which is always what's going to happen when they come back from doping against Corey. But yeah, I don't know, man. I kind of I kind of like him to beat Aljo. Yeah, I'd probably take him at two forty six. I think I'm into it. Yeah, 
that's going to be a good fight. Anyway, we'll see. And now the big one. Jeez, it's exciting, Minga. The Olive versus Makachev. Now, I think this is, for me, the second biggest fight of the year after the Max and uh, Volk one. There was just so much on the line in that Max and Volk fight. One man fighting to keep his legacy intact, the other one fighting to take it away. But I feel like this fight, I've got more intrigue because it's so interesting. It is very interesting. Max, The Max Volk one, obviously Volk, the king. But this one, there's just Strongest so... Strongest tib-fibs in the world. Oh, jeez. So good. But I just feel like this one, there's so many questions to be answered in this fight. And it's so exciting. Yeah. It is so exciting. Well, you've got Olive, who is probably the most excited fighter in the world at the moment. I think that's fair to say, yeah. Like when, 100%. When was the last time you watched one of his fights and you weren't just out of your chair? He is. And how cool is he? Yeah, he's the coolest man on the planet. I actually think he is the coolest man on the planet, Minga. Hey, do you know where how he walks out in those like massive glasses that look like that look like prescription glasses? Yeah, those prescription glasses he wears, they look like pretty thick. Right? Like yeah. you'd have to have pretty bad eyesight. Yeah. But he like he wears them to the ring. Do you reckon he there's surely his eyesight can't be that bad. You can't be fighting and not be able to see three feet feet in front of your face. Are they definitely prescription glasses? I don't know. That's the thing. I reckon he could wear them out of coolness. Maybe. And how cool is the way he comes out and he jumps into the octagon and he'll just Go up to his opponent's corner, give him high fives. How's the confidence on him? Yeah. Is it confidence? Is it? Oh, yeah. It's confidence, isn't yeah. it? It's, it's, it's sort of intimidating, I reckon. He's been, yeah, it would be. Especially the, the way he fights is so confident. He, he, just, doesn't, he just walks 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 him down, like walks into it, he takes the shots, keeps coming. He doesn't even try to intimidate anyone. Nah. But, but his calm and coolness is so intimidating. I watched his... His ring walks for like his last few fights yesterday in bed. <laughs> I was getting really excited. <laughs> and, Just um, the ring walks. <laughs> <laughs> just the walkouts. And um, just the way he just comes out. He high, he'll high five his opponent on the way in, go to the corner, give him a high five, walk around. He's fully owning it, isn't he? Yeah. He's been doing it for a long time, man. Like he's been... He's been in, he, I think he's fir- first fought in the UFC when he was 18 or 19. He's a pro. He, like, he's grown up in there. Like, you, you can't, nobody's going to be as comfortable in there than he is. And it's, it was so good to finally see him get the title and then to see the way he's gone on with it. I know he missed weight after that last fight and they took it off him. But, which is fair, I guess. But I mean, come on. Like it was, was like fucking half a pound, if that or something. I don't think it took anything away from. No, it didn't from anything, you know. No, he's still the champ, and he came out there and fought and took Gage out. That, the other thing is, he's always in there to finish, man. That's why he's so likable. He's just always looking for the finish. Well, I saw a stat today, Minga. I saw. I've seen a lot of stats, but 
He's had 19 finishes in the UFC. Yeah, it's the most, isn't it? Number one in history. Yeah. Number one in submissions. Yeah. 16. He's been number one in submissions for a while. And how about this one? 18 bonuses. Yeah. Number one in UFC history. He's never in a boring fight. Never. It's... Jeez, he's good, Minga. Yeah. He's got to go down as one of the best ever. But as good as he is and as good as he keeps showing as he is, I think this is a bad matchup for him. And it's a bad matchup for anyone. Just that Dagestani style. Just that, you know, relentless wrestling style. Where but, they, but the thing is, they, they're, they're trying to finish you too. Like, that's the thing. They're not just lying on you. They're not just controlling you. Like, they're, they're trying to take you out. Like, it's so hard for anybody to deal with. And Olive's the kind of guy who will let people take him down so he can work his jiu-jitsu off his back, which, like you said, has been really dangerous. But I don't know if he's going to be able to catch Islam. Like, that's what these guys do, you know? Yeah. And it worries me. It scares me, Minga. My hope is that, Obviously, I'm praying that Olive wins. But my hope is that Islam tries to stay on the feet with him. Yeah, same. And, and shows some sort of element, different, different element of his, of his game. Yeah. And I think if, if, it, if it's on the feet, Olive, Olive could do him. Yeah, definitely. Well, he will. The, the longer it stays on the feet, the – I mean – the more chance there is that Olive's going to catch him. And Islam's definitely a better striker than Khabib. Like he can hang on the feet better than Khabib did. But, I mean, yeah, that's what that's what anyone who's going for Olive needs. They need him to stand up. They need it to be standing up for a while. But you have to think, right, that there's no way Islam is going to do that. Yeah. As, as if they don't realise that that's how they lose that fight the easiest as well. Yeah. And but don't you think it would also be cool if Oliveira submits him? Is, he, is that the coolest possible? I think that ending? would be the coolest possible ending. <sighs> yeah, he tries to do it like do his wrestling thing on him, and he submits him. Yeah, that would definitely be the coolest ending. Oh, jeez, it'd be so sick if he does that. I just can't. I don't know if I can see it happening, Minga. Oh, I'm tell really you what, don't I don't know how. And I don't know a heap about jiu-jitsu, but when I watch him fight, it's he's so fast to get into position to submit. He's so explosive on the ground. Yeah. It's not it's not brute force. Obviously, that, that's how the, the Dagestani style is. But the way Oliveira can just jump and spin and just get himself in some wild position, I can kind of see it happening. Yeah, I mean... He's got, yeah, it's technique really, but man, like we were saying, he's got a lifetime of experience in it. He's got a, he, he spent all his adult years in that octagon. Like he, what do you think, Minga, about like could be being in his corner, in, in Islam's corner? Like how much effect or advantage do you think he's got having advice coming from there during a fight? And I know I'm not saying there's anything wrong with him getting the advice, obviously that's what you do. But, you know, when he fought Dan Hooker and there's that yeah. footage of him 
trying to get him in the um, what submission did he end up getting? Was he trying to get him in a triangle or something? No, it wasn't a triangle. It was like it was an armbar or something. Oh yeah. And Khabib's, you can hear him say like, "Get your right leg over his shoulder," and he literally does it. Yeah. And that's a huge advantage. This isn't it. Oh, they've got all the advantages in this. I mean, they're they're fighting in front of the, you know, it's about it's like a hometown crowd. They're going to have all the support. He's got, I mean, it's a massive advantage for anyone to have Khabib in their corner. I don't know, man. It worries me. Like, I don't, I just, I just don't want to, I just love Olive too much. I want to see him win. I think, you know, I don't, I just don't think Islam's a great matchup for him. I feel like he'll be too willing to go to the ground. And I think once those guys are on top, like Khabib and Islam, like, they don't get submitted. Like, they don't get submitted when they're on top. They just do their thing. Like, they do it better than anyone. And if that's where it goes, I mean, Jesus Christ, we need a miracle for Olive to submit him off his back. Do you think um, Oliveira's defense will be better than anyone else's that Islam's fought? Do you think he'll be able to get to his feet better? Uh, maybe. If he's going get, to be getting to his feet, it'll come off submission attacks. So it'll come off making Islam have to defend attacks and then he'll maybe be able to sweep or scramble his way up from there. Um, and I think he's going to be good at doing that. So, like, potentially, yeah, that could help him get back on the feet more. But I don't know, man. It's interesting. We'll have to see. I also hope the fight goes longer than a round. I want to yeah. see, see it unfold and I want to see which style is the dominant style. Yeah. Because you've got the best and the best of the two styles fighting yeah. each other. It's when when I thought about it, I haven't like Khabib didn't really fight anyone. Did he fight anyone like that? Uh oh, all mean, his big all his big wins were against strikers. He didn't fight anyone like Oliveira. I no. wouldn't say there's anyone like him. Yeah, there isn't, yeah. But, but did he fight God. anyone to the level? Yeah. Probably not. Probably not, because he got Dustin, he got Gaethje, yeah. he got Connor. None of those guys want to want to wrestle. No, and none of them are anywhere near as dangerous with their jiu-jitsu as Oliveira is. Yeah, so we never really got to see it with him. No, no, I wouldn't say so. But, I mean, this is as close as you're going to get to that. <laughs> like, you can't get any closer. Yeah. It could be versus Oliveira than Islam versus Oliveira. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So... The two styles, the best of the best of the two styles. It's so interesting. It's going to be good, Minga. It's going to be good. Oh, shit. And the winner faces <laughs> Volk in Perth in February next year. <laughs> oh, my God. To be honest, I feel like it's a, they're both bad matchups for Volk. Islam's worse. <laughs> but... Man, we got you. Got to get around. Uh, actually, him. sorry, I shouldn't. Have, I shouldn't have said that, Minga. No one's a bad matchup for Volk, dude. Have you? Yeah, no one's gonna get past those two feuds, dude. <laughs> I those sorry. sorry, Volk. Volk, I know you're probably listening. I'm sorry I said that. No one's a bad matchup for you. You're a bad matchup for everyone. We're on the pre-sale mailing list for those tickets too. So we'll be getting them as soon as they come out. Yeah, it could be the corner of the round table um, 
road trip. Oh, yeah. Could be the trip that sort of gets us famous. Could well, be. Not famous, but... Could be the, the trip that makes us fall apart. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so I'm going to put uh, a little UFC multi up on the Instagram, so keep an eye out for that. It's a couple of things I'm still thinking about, just trying to think what the safest options are. I don't think you, if you to be safe on any sort of UFC card, you don't want to go more than three legs in a multi because you just open yourself up to lose. It's it's generally pretty hard to pick something with any value, so you want to play with as shorter legs as possible because it's yeah it's hard to string much together. I'm just trying to work out. I've got a few options. I'm just trying to work out what my three legs actually are. Did you like anything on this card? To be honest, after talking about them all, I've got zero confidence in any of any predictions of any of these fights. What did you like? Well, I came in here really liking Sugar Sean, but that I know that's an upset. Yeah. Obviously, I like Bilal. I think that's a good bet. Yeah, it's probably the one, isn't it? Yeah. Sterling Dillashaw, that's so hard. Yeah. I don't. I'd probably be steering clear of it and just enjoying it. Oliveira, if, you had, if you had to, I'd get on Dillashaw. No, I think it's disrespectful to go against Olive in this fight. Oh, I'd hate to bet against him. It's disrespectful. I think Smart Money does though. Head Head is saying Islam, and Heart is saying Olive. Yeah, but I, I, I can imagine Olive winning and us being really disappointed. In even doubting him, yeah, I wouldn't bet. Ag- I wouldn't bet against him because of that reason. You'd yeah. want to. You'd want to really savor that moment. Yeah, want to enjoy it. So, what do you like? You just like Bilal, don't you? No, I don't. I, I mean, I just don't know. I think that's. I think there's value in that, but I don't know if I'll put it in. Um. Yeah, like I said, I'm just going to put mine up on, on the gram. So keep an eye out for that. Um, we're going to talk to the oracle. Is it the stars are aligning, aren't they? They are, and obviously Pulele's drawn really nicely to stalk the speed. Definitely, um, he's won at the valley before, so we know that he's going to he's going to he's going to perform there definitely. But I just feel like Bella's just fired up, ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I'm excited for that. Can you go yeah. two in a row in the Manicado? Oh, think you good, can. yeah. See, here we go. So, yeah, I'd, I'd suggest, well, I don't know, because they're all over the shop. So maybe, well, those price punters now who took the 850 about an hour ago or half an hour ago, they'll be absolutely laughing at the moment because, yeah, it's because of, because of that. So I reckon we're going to wait till race day. If I get any inkling that it's not completely on-pace bias, I reckon we um, have a little bit of a, a three or four-unit play on Bella Nipatina. Okay, lovely. Cannot wait. Great way to spend the Friday night. Exactly. And then Saturday, we're going back to the Valley. Yes. Another great race card. Another great race card, exactly. So do you want to touch on a few horse, well, a horse that I'm really interested in first or do you want to touch on the Cox first? Um, no, what's the, what's, what are you interested in? 
Well, our little futures bet. Ah, uh, yes. So, so virtuous, uh, virtuous circle. Yes. So you lines up in the Drummond Gold Vase Stakes, which I think is race six or seven. I think it's seven on the on the card. So it's the it's two races before the Cox. So yep. J Max J Max on board, which which we predicted earlier in the week, has drawn unbelievably well, which is fantastic. And I feel race seven like it is yeah race seven, and I feel like it's going to piss this race in. Simple as that. <laughs> yeah, I like I'm, that. I like the sound am, of that. Um, I am very very bullish about virtual uh, virtual circles chances this week. Yeah. So and did J Mac ride it last start? He did. He remember that was that flashing light run behind Tijuana. Yeah, yeah where it was yeah. out the back. Just who knows? So to think about this. So remember how we spoke about the the Derby lead up in Muramasa and 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 Mister Maestro going toe to toe. Yeah. And they're the more fancied runners in the Derby. So last start in that race where Virtuous Circle ran behind Tijuana on that on pace dominated night, Miramasa was three lengths behind Virtuous Circle. Okay. All right. So we take that into place. If we go the start before, which was in a 1,500-meter handicap race at Mooney Valley, Virtuous Circle beat Mr. Maestro by half a length. So we've got two form lines that we can tie in with them both. And they're both an unsuitable trips, in my opinion, for Virtuous Circle, purely off-breeding with um, with our Mansell being, being his sire. So, yeah. So the writing's on the wall, isn't it? it the writing is on the wall, and and I I think the again it's one of those things like like Kiss Sum where we're coming from one of those not 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 such a big stable, more a boutique stable in Liam Howley, and he really hasn't he doesn't really have any horses of of note at the moment. So I think the the market's kind of I don't know either forgetting about it or not considering it because they're probably seeing Berkeley Square, which has been racing in all these big Group Ones. They're probably seeing Jamie Carr on, on James Cumming Horse in Pericles. So, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very bullish about um, Virtuous Circle. And I think if we look at the, like, from Barrier 6, I think the map sets up perfectly for it. If it, again, non-on-pace bias. Yeah, so if, if, yeah, because she's, yeah, yeah, right. So I, yeah, so I have Fajita Sun and Pericles leading that race. So I see them both coming over and I feel like, what having Vahita Sun inside of of Virtuous Circle, I reckon J Mac can just follow it over, sit off off the fence, and maybe maybe three four pairs back, and then have that launch and prime maybe ride for a little bit of luck and try and get the gaps. But we know that Virtuous Circle handles the valley; it's been around there before and and won. So yeah, I'm bullish. Yeah, he's the man for the job, isn't he? I mean, oh yeah, he's just—he's just in Australia. He's just—you you can't not back him. Simple as that. And to be honest, with with Virtual Circle, if you get, we might pay that J Mac tax, so you might want to get on now. Maybe I don't yeah. Know. Okay, I might just try just take into account that he'll handle all ground. He's so again, no worries about the rain. So I think he's one on a good track, and he's also one on a heavy deck. So yeah, I think he's quite versatile. I might try and chuck that up on the Instagram pretty soon then so people can try and get a price because I can't see with your confidence for it how it stays at the price it is now. And and yeah. why is Berkeley Square so short? It was I kind think of wasn't that it, impressive that last start, was it? It wasn't super impressive. Like Osipenko had him covered, so did Elliptical, and obviously that, that ride from Golden Mile um, – on Golden Mile, sorry – 
I think because he's got really good figures on the board. So everyone's looking at it, those three-year-old figures. He's put like that straight race that he won. I forget. Where, oh, I'm sorry. That race he won at Flemington, um, that was electric. Like it was so good to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So, true. yeah, the, I think it was the Exford plate. Yeah, over 1,400 metres where just Craig got the split and just rocketed home. I think he won by, by half a length or, or thereabouts. So I think because he's got the figures on the board that – Everyone's looking at that. And again, Craig Williams, he he's he's a great jockey. Simple as that. Yep. 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 I cannot wait for that. That is looking very exciting. Yeah. Uh, so should we have a talk about the big one? Of course. Let's do it. Okay. So look, when this barrier draw came out, this is the uh, Cox plate we're talking about, by the way. Yeah. Um, and Zaki in the one at the Valley. I immediately put money on it. Did you? Did you Imme- take the immediately? <laughs> did you take? Did you take a good price? I think I got four forty, four fifty, or something. Good. Oh, good. I, I I haven't seen it. It's been weird. There hasn't been a, like there's hasn't been a great deal of market moves. Yeah, like alligator blood's been met with some support. I think when Gold Trip, when um, I think no doubts that. The the report coming out of Kieran probably got got circulated, and these blinkers on backing up, and he he had that little thing, but he's he's drifted back out. So I haven't seen a great deal of market moves for any horse at the moment, which is which is odd. Yeah, I mean, it looks like Zaki's coming to four, but I mean, it's nothing major. Oh, so you're saying there's been money? Oh, there has been money for Alligator Blood. I wouldn't go anywhere near him. At two thousand no, in this race. Well, not drawn where he is. Had you switched him and Zaki around, I would have been like, "Yeah, all right, I can see why." But yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm quite, I'm, I'm quite perplexed by that because he opened eighteen. I think he's into what elevens or twelves or even thirteens, depending 13, on thirteen. I'm looking at yeah. There you go. So yeah, it's it's super interesting, particularly like I don't, I'm I'm not sure where he ends up in like how this the race pans out. Yeah, because I think. I think we've spoken about it before in terms of Zaki sitting on that, on like loving the rail. So yeah. we know he's going to get that from barrier one. He just needs to jump on even terms. And I'm wondering what Tim Clark does from 12. Does he just like barrel, barrel along and then try and like either take on Zaki or sit outside him? I just don't know. He's got to, doesn't he? He's got to yeah. go. He's got to try and get across. I'd- and then or- – or, and the the real puzzling horse in this is is your mate Profondo. I don't know what Chad <laughs> Schofield's going to do with him, like because he could kick up from six inside Alligator Blood, and Alligator Blood could be sitting three wide. Yeah, yeah, true. And then, and then, yeah, it'd be super interesting to see how that goes. I kind of hope so, he does um, for Zaki's sake. Yeah, Just well, hold the blood think- off him. I think that's one good thing in terms of Zaki is I think if if we're looking at Profondo coming in this and being drawn inside Alligator Blood, this is my map, by the way. This is I don't I don't know, there'll be professional speed mappers out there. Yeah. Um yeah, I have I have Zaki setting a, a fast tempo and then I have um, Alligator Blood just sitting outside and Profondo sitting in just behind them. Yeah. So I have them setting a fast speed, which is what Zaki's been waiting for, because I think it was relatively slow in that Caulfield stakes and obviously in that Underwood stakes at Alligator, but it was just an absolute dawdle. So yeah. I think the, in terms of how the race pans out, I feel like it's, it's, it's benefiting Zaki. That's for sure. And you'd think that the blood's going to have to work a bit to get over. 
Surely. Absolutely. Yeah. So he's going to have to work. I don't know where Mr. I, 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 I'm intrigued to see what Craig does with Mr. Brightside. Because yeah. he's drawn just inside of Alligator Blood. And does he kick up as well and try and sit sit one out, one back? I don't know. Yeah, he's a sneaky, so, sneaky talent, Mr. Brightside, I reckon. Yeah, he's, he's a good also. I think if we get that wet weather or that soft deck, I think he was, certainly his chances are enhanced. But I can see why he's $16. Like, he, he's yeah. been outclassed the last two starts. And it's yeah. evident with his fifth and the fourth behind the yeah. big three. Hey, there's a, there's a couple in here that I'm, I'm really eyeing off and I'm, not exactly sure why. Well, the Al Bodegon, obviously, because it's the yep. international. But Young Werther, I remember we were talking about him the other week too. What's What's rough for us is we've got two two well, yeah, two horses that we put in the black book in terms of Law of Indices and Young Werther, mm. and they both turned up here. Yeah, I, Law of Indices soft deck. I think we can pen it, and I, I'm just I just think it's I, it was fantastic last start in the Turak, but I just feel like he's going to be outclassed here, and I don't I don't like him at at uh, at Mooney Valley. Mm. So I'm very three too. He's going to probably yeah. gonna have, be in a bit of traffic, you'd imagine. I have a feeling it would be yeah. So I'm I'm willing to put a pen through him. However, if he goes to that in that Flemington meet and goes to that that Champions Mile or whatever that that two thousand meter race, I think he'd be certainly a chance. Um, I think Young Worth is just having a run around for the for the cups because well, I think I said on the pod I think he's one of our better chances like, to to knock off those those international raiders definitely. Yeah. Yep. So it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me to see Young Werther run a good race and run a drum, but I don't think he has the class of an Animo and a Zaki or even a Thunderstruck for that matter. Yeah, and that would explain the $61. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I think, and, we, and if you look at Young Werther's strike rate, I think he's had one win, which was a Geelong maiden. So, so yeah. are, we, are we... But he's, are we been, looking, he's been thereabouts in some good races. Exactly. Are we just looking at Gold Trip 2.0? Yeah, maybe. We know Gold Trip's the similar sort of figures where he's won from 14, ended up in the trifecta quite a few times. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll wait and see. I'll t- um, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't put $5 on him today. <laughs> again, mate, I'm, I'm not going to talk you out of it. Again, this is the this is the best race of the year. This is yeah. the best horses, and this always determines, I guess, the best weight for age star of, of the, the Australian racing ranks. Yeah, and have a couple of small plays on stuff like that. I reckon why not? There's no harm because it's happened before. Look at Seamus Award won this as a maiden. So, yeah, it, it, it's not a race that hasn't shocked before in the past. Yeah. And like uh, Profundo 81. Yeah, there's a couple of little things to spec. Um, El, El Bodegon, what do, what do you know about it? So El Bodegon is – that's – you can have two approaches to this race. Can you look at El Bodegon and go, all right, we've got uh, – We've got a horse, an international raider, who's not considered to be elite class, but but pretty good up there, and he's just going to run around. Yeah. Or are we going to look at it and go, this is the different form line. Animozaki, Thunderstruck, Alligator Blood, Mr. Brightside, Mwanga, they've been racing against each other for the last two to three starts. A different winner each time. Are they very, very similar in terms of ability? And is El Bodegon this this new horse that's come out of nowhere that everyone's just like, who is he? So I'm still not sure about how I'm going to approach this with him in it. I do have a – I won't lie that I am financially invested on him at a futures ticket at a much bigger price than what's 
on offer now. So, yep. so if me not putting this up as a tip is purely off a price perspective. And if I see him get around that, if he shortens into say five fifty five dollars, I will be laying him. So okay. at least I'm going to profit on the race. Yeah. Um, because I do find this race quite tricky, particularly with, with Zaki drawn in gate one, but El Bodegon has, he's got some of some elite form lines in, in Europe. He hasn't obviously beaten these guys, but he's got some great form lines. So he's raced in, he won a group one as a two year old, which was pretty awesome to see, which was great. And then he's run, he's beaten Stone Age, who's probably a really sound horse in Europe. And I've backed him a couple of times in the kind of that kind of group racing. Yeah, yeah. And then he made his way and actually competed in, in the French Derby. And, and albeit he did lose by five lengths to Vidani or Vidani or however you want to pronounce it. But the good Vidani, one. Yeah, Vidani went on and raced in the Arc de Triomphe, which we know is the best race in the world. And in my opinion, I thought he, sh- he should have won the race. I think Alpinista had a, had a better run in transit and he was just unlucky. So... You can look at it like that. Um, Ernesto. So if you look at it this way, start in another 2,400 meter race in at Longchamp. And he ran set third behind uh, Ernesto, who has form lines around a lot of a, a few horses who actually ran in the arc. So if you're looking at it like that over those 2,000, 2,400 meter races, he's, he's been up against some of the world's best. And, and then he, um, I think he raced in a group two just before he was shipped out of here against um, Dovil Legend, who okay. is one of the favourites for the Melbourne Cup. Now, Dovil Legend had, had his measure comfortably and just monstered him down the outside. But I think if you, if you, you can draw those form lines into some elite European horses and if he, if he can I don't know, get a good sit in just behind the speed and we get, I guess, a soft, even a heavy deck, I reckon he's a, a ripping chance. But, yeah, the, the yeah. internationals have been pretty successful in the last few years in this race too, haven't they? Yeah, we'll look at State Arrest. State yeah. Arrest. What was the Japanese um, one before that? Lise Grisseur. Yeah. Who ended up going on and being crowned one of the world, Japan's race horse of the year and I think she one of the best horses in the world as well. So, yeah, international raiders. I remember Highland Reel. Uh, yeah. So Highland Reel was like marked as um, – one of the, the best international horses of his time. And I know uh, a friend of ours in Pete, he spruiked it like he was going out of fashion leading up to that race. I reckon. Yeah. Pistol Pete. Exor- yeah, Pistol. He had an absolutely exorbitant amount like riding on on Highland reels of just various different bookies. But that was the one that Winks, Winks ended up winning. So, yeah, right. Oh, no. And that started that run and she absolutely schooled him. So I think definitely the internationals have, have had some, some, some success in the past and – there's a reason why Wallace bought this horse out. And these, these this guy's had Australian owners since he was a year a yearling. So yeah, I feel like they've had this in mind for a long time. Yeah. And it, and like you said, it did how he goes, it will give us a good idea on how some of those other ones are gonna probably perform in the cup as well. Yeah. Or how they stack up anyway. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of staking on him, I I'm not penning him and he'll certainly be in the quaddy numbers. But I won't be having a stake on him purely for because of my futures ticket on him at a at a bigger price. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'm not sure if I'm going to go there either, but because yeah. there's just so many there's just so many other things I'm interested in this. Yeah. But, Do you want to touch on Gold Trip? 
which yeah. is the, I think the fascinating one backing up from the from the Caulfield Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you yeah, think? So, so I think I'm not sure if your listeners are like know about the historical stuff, but honestly, like horses, like top weights or horses of of carrying decent weights, backing up from the Caulfield Cup in the Cox Plate has actually had some quite has a bit of success. Okay. So, Master of Wine, you remember that horse? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So he he was the last horse to do it, which and he was poor in both races. So we can kind of kind of pen him. Yeah. Um, but I listened to a couple of guys on Twitter today and they were talking about Humidor. Remember I, Humidor, the WA horse? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so he ran, a, he ran a slashing fourth or fifth in the Caulfield Cup that year, came to the Cox Plate, blinkers on first time, same as, as Gold Trip, and then ran within half a length of Winks. Yeah, that's so, right. Really, it gave Winks a run for her money, didn't it? Yeah, exactly. So... Um, I certainly think um, he's in this in, up to in his eyeballs. Okay. Um, so I wouldn't be penning him. And, and the addition of blinkers is a very interesting gear change. So I'm not sure what to take of it yet. But, um, yeah, I think, I think he's a little bit of a smoky in this race, definitely. Okay. That's interesting. $14 and $3.20 I'm looking at at the moment. That's not bad. Yeah. Yeah, so not too bad at all. I think he the early price movers took um, took him at thirteens. He dropped into eights, and now he's back out to around that thirteen fourteen dollar mark. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. I wasn't thinking about it, but I am now. The thing yeah, is, I, you got to not you got to contain yourself and not oh, have too many bets because no, ex- then you end up probably not being able to win anything. Yeah. 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 You end up staking a million different horses and then you, you go, did I win on that race or did I just lose? I don't know, <laughs> but I, I, I had fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you'll see um, see the jockey on Gold Trip? Yeah. Yeah. Who's so that? Jay Spencer. Jamie Spencer. So he's a UK jockey. He's from Ireland. Now he's come out. It's interesting that they, they op- opted to go with him over um, Huey Bowman. Because yeah, Huey okay. obviously was was booked for top ranked and and unfortunately he succumbed to injury. But it's interesting that they went with Jamie Spencer. Now he's never ridden Gold Trip in Europe um, before, but Jamie Spencer is actually f- um, flown out here t- for one ride. Yeah, what you're kidding right. me? Yep, and then they've offered him that ride because next week is the Golden Eagle week, and there's a horse by the name of Light Infantry running in that race. Okay. All right. Now, light infantry, it could be worth – I'm not going to say a futures ticket, but when we're talking about futures in, with this Golden Eagle and we're talking about Kiss Sum, Valana and all those guys, now this light infantry, for Jamie Spencer to fly all the way from the UK for this one ride and then be offered the gold trip one purely out by default is a, is a, is a pretty, pretty big sign, isn't it? Yeah, that is big. So this, it's, hard to, yeah, so, it's hard to ignore. Yeah, so this this light infantry, Jamie Spence is the only jockey who's ever ridden it. He's had five starts in Europe. Jeez. Yeah. So an interesting thing to take out of it is light infantry absolutely brained state of rest. Oh. Um, all right. Now we know what state of rest it won our Cox Plate last year. So this is this is quite an interesting thing for a three year old to absolutely give that that horse windburn. Yeah, I know. So, 
yeah, so it's it's quite funny in my in my little black book notes on on the punters app. I've got Golden Eagle Moral written in there after <laughs> the last start at, Do- at Doval. So I'm probably not going to to make it a moral because who knows how he settled in. But I think I think it's interesting that that jockey's come out for that ride. That's for sure. Four four fifty on the futures for light infantry. Who's who's the second, third, and fourth favourites behind it? Well, you've got. I wish I win is joint favourite. You've got Hinged at Yuck. eight dollars, Villana at eight dollars. Yeah. Then they've got eleven dollars for Animo in brackets. Doubtful, Mister Mozart. Yeah. Do What's you, Kiss Champagne? Ah, uh, hang on. Fifteen. He's down the Jesus. down Jesus. the list a bit. The more I think about it, this this horse, if it's settled into Australia nicely, it's just wins. It's got just superior form lines. We've yeah. got horses jumping out of BMs. See, BMs when I, here in Australia midweek. Yeah, when I was looking at that, when I popped that page up, I thought to myself, how's how's this thing 450? Like, it should be It'd able be, to handle all of them, except Animo, who's doubtful. Who won't run. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, man, I don't know. Should we be getting on that now? I don't know. I don't know. 450. Surely... It's gonna come. Surely they're gonna catch on to that and bring that down. Yeah. What did he open? Have you got the opening price there? No. Oh, hang on. Yeah, I do actually. Opened at eight. Okay, so they had. It's been market support, but nothing crazy. Yeah. I wonder if they opened that before they. He was even completely locked into coming over though. Potentially, like you're kind of looking at him and looking at his form lines, and you're like, yeah, okay, you're you're pretty awesome. You're yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, okay. That is interesting. Yeah, so food for, th- food for thought for next week. But yep. if you're looking at it purely from a form lines perspective, and if he's settled into Australia, he just wins that race and, and comfortably. Oh, he, so they like brought it. him over here for that race and then they're taking him back to Royal Ascot next year. And then he's come back to Australia. Yeah. yeah. So Surely he's got that field covered. No, oh, it just looks that way. Like we penned I wish I win after not running out a strong mile. Hinged. Yeah, she was sound in the in that Epsom. And and obviously Ellsberg's for Frank that form line last week. Milana was great. Mr. Mozart didn't like his run. As you said, Animo not running. Cardinal Gem ran at Geelong today, I think it did. Or maybe yeah. I'll get the wrong gem up. Bangirl gone. Gypsy goddess. Stayer. Kiss some slight chance so you're looking at it like that it's like pff, can anything beat it in this five bucks overs yeah well potentially by the time it, if it goes any if it goes down by the time it jumps yeah i'll see if i can get my hands on any sort of stable mail regarding it because i do know a few owners with with horses with dave, dave eustace and, and kieran Ma. so i guess okay. we'll find out okay we'll wait here yeah um we got anything else no, I think that's pretty much it. It's a spring champion. I don't really – we touched on that. Um, yep. Yeah, not much else. I think that's pretty much it. We just um, – the big focus is definitely Victoria this weekend. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Love and it. I'll, I'll, and then I'll do all my um, provincial meets like we did on the weekend with, with Ang Pao and see if we can find another winner there. Yeah, okay. That would be amazing. So, um, so, we, so, yeah, we got, a, we got a really good weekend lined up. A ripper weekend. So, yeah, I reckon we – Chuck up, chuck up Bella, chuck up um, 
Virtuous uh, circle. V- virtuous circle. I think if, if, you, if you're following my little unit strategy or not mine but the unit strategy that I use, I'd probably be willing to probably part ways with maybe two, two and a half units with Bella. Yep. And I'd be going. I'd be going three and a half with uh, virtual circle. Oh, love it! He's confident. No, I'm, bu- I'm, a, I'm bullish on virtual circle. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, mate, thanks so much again. Um, Pleasure. I will wait to hear from you, and uh, I'll talk to you over the weekend. Sounds like a plan, bud. Take it easy. Okay, mate. Bye.